Hey, we don't have to wait for forever because forever begins right now. We can praise his name right now, right here today, together. What we do now, we will continue to do for eternity. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you listen and receive our praise today. And that in some strange, mysterious way, we don't fully understand, you take joy from the praise that we give you. Like a good father who loves to be adored by his children, you take glory when we adore you. And you deserve that glory. And we are satisfied in your presence. And so we praise you for the birth. We praise you for your death. We praise you for your resurrection. And we anticipate your return. Now, God, as we open up your word, would you open up our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. Have a seat across every campus. If I've never met you before, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Clayton, and it's good to be back. I've been on a little hiatus. I've, uh, about 10 weeks ago, had a little close call with death, and now I'm back and I'm alive. I'm 100%. Thank you for praying for me. I'm 100% energy and 90% my body weight. I lost 10% of my body weight. If you want to lose weight, just have your appendix burst. I do not recommend it, but it's an effective weight loss strategy. Hey, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 today. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to, but I want to celebrate something while you're turning to Matthew 11. We're in our Christmas series, and we're talking about hope leading up to Christmas. And um, I want to brag on you, New Spring. We are also in our overflow season, and if you've just joined us today for the first time online or at one of our campuses, overflow is what we do at the end of the year when we give toward the expansion of our campuses. Specifically this year, our overflow offering is going to help our campus in Aiken get into a permanent facility. Our goal is $3 million. We want to pay cash for everything that we do. That's one of the commitments that we've made to you as a church, and we've been able to do that with other campuses. Now it's our turn to bless our Aiken campus. And I want to brag on you, New Spring. You have now given over $1.6 million to the overflow offering. In the words of that great Bible scholar and theologian, John Bon Jovi, we're halfway there. Living on a prayer, we're $1.6 million to the $3 million goal, so I want to encourage you to continue praying about that as we continue to give. God blesses generosity, and I am so thankful for the generosity that we have right here in our church where we know it's better to give than to receive. Um, hey, I want to also pause for a moment, and I want to lead us in a time of prayer. I think it would be appropriate for us today across every campus to pray for our friends brothers and sisters, and those that we've never met, honestly, who have suffered the devastation uh, that was left in the wake of the terrible storms and specifically the tornadoes that ripped through several states over the weekend, specifically in Kentucky. This hits home to Shari and myself. Her brother and his wife and their four children live in Kentucky. They, they were not injured in the storms. I also read this morning that one of the tornadoes that, that struck so much havoc and destruction was literally on the ground for over 200 miles. And if you've seen some of the pictures, you know that there is massive devastation there on the ground in several states. Could we just pause for a moment right now and let's pray for uh, the, the, the care workers, for the first responders, for the police officers, and for everyone, all the medical personnel that are going there to try to help in ways that, that we can only pray for from South Carolina. Let's pray right now. God, we lift up our brothers and sisters in uh, Kentucky and surrounding states. 
We pray for these communities that have been devastated. Holy Spirit, would you activate your people? Would you activate your church? God, would you inspire us to not only pray and intercede for them, but to give where we can? And God, would you help the church to be the first line of care in a time of great need? We speak blessing over those communities and those that will be on the ground and are even there right now helping people put their lives back together. We, pl- we pray, God, that you would also bring comfort to those who have lost family members and loved ones in the terrible storms. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I want to start today by just asking you a question. Where do you take your doubts as a Christian? What do you do with your your doubts? And as a Christian, what do you do with your questions? I've not met many Christians in 35 years as a believer myself who have ever said to me, I've never doubted God. I've never had a question for Jesus. There may be people out there like that, but a majority of the believers I've met, like me, have lots of doubts and some questions for God. And so today's message on hope is entitled Hope from a Dark Place. And we're going to look at a great example from the New Testament of what we do with our doubts and where we take our questions. Because if we have doubts, it's going to be a very honest message today. I'm going to be as transparent as I know how to be. In all the years I've been preaching at New Spring, over 20 years, I don't think I've had as much response after a first service as the one today. As a matter of fact, I walked backstage, turned on my phone. I had 25 text messages from people at other campuses saying, this message really hit home for me. So full disclosure, I'm going to peel open my my chest today and show you my heart because I've been through some things and I want to share with you my journey of hanging on to hope. There's nobody in the New Testament better than this man we're going to meet today, John the Baptist, to show us an example of what we do with our doubts and where we take our questions. Because when you do have doubts and questions about who God is and what God is doing, if you don't have an intimate enough relationship with Jesus to bring those doubts to him, to, as the Bible would say in the Old Testament, cast all of your cares upon the Lord, give him all of your anxiety knowing he cares for you. If we don't bring our questions to Jesus and our doubts before Jesus, then what happens is life will cause some pain and some trauma We'll go through some hard things and those doubts will stack on top of each other until eventually at a certain time of life, they will hit a, 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 a critical mass to where all those doubts and questions just begin to cascade out of you and it will cause you to doubt God in a way that turns from doubt to disbelief. And there's a difference between doubt and disbelief. A Christian can have doubts and not disbelieve in Jesus. And that's who we see uh, right here today in Matthew chapter 11. So let's talk about what hope is. Dan gave us a definition last week that's very helpful. Hope is a joyful expectation for the future. It's a joyful expectation that God will keep his promises, that all of our hopes will be fulfilled in Christ. And every one of us that has ever gone through a season of doubt or a time of questioning God's plan, we can hang on to hope knowing that better Days are coming. And there's no better example in the Bible than John the Baptist. Let me give you a little bit of context on John the Baptist as we talk about hope from a dark place. Now, when I call John John the Baptist, I don't mean that he went to a Baptist church. 
like about 75% of our, of our congregation uh, across South Carolina. Because, you know, if you're from the South, you at least know a couple of Southern Baptists or you are a Southern Baptist uh, or, or you've had an experience with a Southern Baptist. He was not denominationally a Baptist. That just means that John was known as the one who baptized Jesus. So let's get real clear about this. John was very, very close to Jesus. He was also Jesus' cousin. I've got some cousins that still live around here. Jesus had a big extended family. We don't know a lot about all of them, but we know about John. Now let's talk about John's connection to Jesus because you'll understand when John begins to question Jesus, you'll understand it does not disqualify you from faith when you bring your questions to Jesus. So John and Jesus grew up together. It's likely that they spent their childhood, uh, seeing each other, playing together, going to family get-togethers, practicing the Jewish festivals together. John's parents were an older couple, and their names were Zechariah. He was a priest, and his wife's name was Elizabeth. Now, a little bit of background here is Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't have children. Their story is very similar to Abraham from the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah. And they had been praying for a child and they couldn't conceive. And so Zechariah was in the Holy of Holies, in the temple as a priest. The Bible tells us he was lighting a candle of incense or lighting the, the incense for worship. When the angel of the Lord stood before him and said, your prayers have been heard, you will have a son and you're going to call him John. And Zechariah questioned the angel. He basically said, my wife and I are old and advanced in years. I mean, they were old. They were really old. They still had a VCR in their house. <laughs> their telephone had a cord attached to it and it was screwed to the wall. I mean, they still communicated with their friends through AOL Instant Messenger, y'all. Come on, somebody. Raise your hand if you had AOL Instant Messenger. Raise your hand if you still have an AOL account. I'm going to keep mine up because I still have one. I don't use it. I just have it. They, had, they, they, were, they were so old, it was unbelievable that they would have a, a child. John is the baby that's going to be born. The father questions the angel, and the angel says, because you have questioned, you will not be able to speak until your son is born. And then when the son is born, uh, we think probably seven or eight months later, when he's born, they decide to call him John, and God opens Zechariah's mouth and Zechariah testified to the goodness of God, even though he had gone through a season of silence. We also know that the first time John the Baptist meets Jesus, he meets him in utero, in the womb. You can read this story. So Mary, the virgin who is pregnant with the baby Jesus that we celebrate during Advent, that we're celebrating right now for Christmas season, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant with this miraculous baby, John, and Mary is pregnant with this miraculous baby, Jesus, and John was so attuned to who Jesus was, he had such a calling on his life, he had this specific ability to be one that would prepare the way for the Messiah, John, in utero, in his mother's womb, leaps for joy when Mary walks in the room with Jesus in her womb. There was nobody in the New Testament any closer to Jesus than his cousin John. Now, you may have heard or, or seen some movies 
The Last Jedi, some of y'all saw The Last Jedi, the Luke Skywalker saga ended with that movie. Some of you can remember the Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai. And if you want to go back to the real 1900s, how about that movie, Last of the Mohicans? Anybody remember that? There's this thing about the last of anything. We kind of like to grab hold of the last of anything. You know who John was? He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, the last one. We meet him in the New Testament, but between the end of the Old Testament at the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament, 400 years had transpired, and then John is born, and John identifies himself as the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. But what we want to look at today is John's season of doubt and questions. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read to you from verses 1 and all the way through verse 11. Scriptures will be up on the screens I want to show you, we meet John in prison, the darkest place. And John has some questions for Jesus. I invite you to to read along. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John, when he heard that John was in prison, wow, John sent a message to Jesus. And he had to send the message through his disciples. And he asked him, here it is. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Do you see the doubt? He literally sends a question to Jesus. Are you really the Messiah? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. And as these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. Now pay attention. Please pay attention to this. John has just asked a question of Jesus and expressed his doubts. And watch what Jesus does. Jesus does not rebuke him or correct him or chastise him or scold him. Jesus honors John. He said this about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I want to point some things out to you during Advent season, especially from the life of John. The first thing that jumps off the page at me is simply this. Even those who are closest to Jesus have questions. There was no one closer to him than John. John's entire identity was to be the forerunner that prepared the way for Jesus. Let this sink in. You can be close to Jesus and have questions for Jesus. I've got questions for Jesus. I want to understand the 90% of human beings that like cilantro. That's a question I have because 10% of us know it's satanic and 90% of you are deceived into thinking it tastes good. I've got some serious questions for Jesus too. I've got questions about why certain people suffer and others don't. 
I've got questions about people who never have access to the gospel and why the church doesn't do more. I've got questions about some friends of mine, family members of mine, and the things that they've gone through. One of my old mentors, he's with the Lord now, I told him one time, I said, I can't wait to get to heaven. I've got a lot of questions for Jesus. And this old preacher said, oh, yeah, I know you do. And I know you think you're going to ask him a lot of questions. But there's a part of me that just wonders, if I get one good glimpse of Jesus and see how beautiful and perfect he is, will I really have all those questions after I see him for the first time? Now, I don't know about that, but I know that right now I have questions. John was close to Jesus, but felt comfortable enough to bring his questions before the Lord. I want to encourage you, New Spring, there's a difference between asking God questions and questioning God. There's a difference there. And when we bring our questions to God, it strengthens our relationship with God. He knows we don't understand everything. As a matter of fact, as a pastor... It, it really feels good for me to confess this to y'all. I don't have all the answers. None of us do. And so when people ask me, and I get this question a lot, Clayton, how do you know that everything you believe is true? Are you 100% sure? Church, I want to tell you, no, I'm not 100% sure of anything. On my best day, I'm about 87% sure. That other 13%, that's where faith grows. That's where I learn to trust God. That other 13% is where I'm reminded that I am a mere mortal and God is infinite and wise. That's where I learn how to trust God. And I've learned this, I see this in this scripture too, that hope and doubt often exist side by side. And Christmas reveals that. Advent will bring that to the surface often. They live side by side. John is in prison. John will eventually become a martyr. He is beheaded because just like an Old Testament prophet, he had the courage to speak a true word to a wicked ruler. He called out Herod for sleeping with his brother's wife and that landed him dead. But he had the ability to express his doubts to Jesus while he's still hoping for the fulfillment of all the promises in Jesus. I like to express it this way in my life. I've got two shoulders like you do, a right shoulder and a left shoulder. I feel like hope lives right here and whispers in my ear, you can trust the Lord. God is good all the time and all the time God is good and all of his promises are fulfilled with yes in Christ Jesus. And then on this other shoulder, I feel like I've got doubt and doubt whispers over here. Usually when things are going wrong or things are going bad or I haven't slept well, or I haven't rested in a while and doubt will be questioning me in my ear. Are you sure? Would you bet your life on that? If God really loved you, then why doesn't he? If God really was good, then why does he? And I feel like right here in between hope on this shoulder and doubt on this shoulder, I've got some space right there. You know what that space is between hope and doubt? It's called faith. Believing the things we can't prove. Trusting the things we don't understand. And if God is all-knowing and all-wise, don't you think he knows that we can't understand all that he's doing? That's why it's so important that we bring our questions to Jesus instead of hiding them and acting like they don't exist. I've had two experiences in my life where I've kind of gone through this. 
Some would call it the dark night of the soul. And if you read the great mothers and fathers in the church history books, they will, you'll see that many of them have gone through seasons where they didn't experience the presence of God. Right out of college, I went for two years and didn't feel his presence once. I still read, read the Bible. I, I still prayed. Shari and I have talked about this a lot. We've both gone through seasons of life like this. And even now, most recently, in the last two months, I've gone through another dark night of the soul where I, I had a close call. Like I, I thought I was going to meet my maker. I got sepsis from a burst appendix. I was miserable in my life. I've been able to push through and muscle through a lot of things. Caught malaria in Africa and, and survived that. I had my gallbladder removed, survived that. I've had other sicknesses. But wow, this was one I could not muscle through. I could not push through this. I had plenty of time at home, in bed, and a recliner, the only two places I could really get comfortable, to ask God, what are you up to? Are things ever going to get better? Haven't you been through that in the last year and a half, two years as an American? I have. I'm just telling you. Like, I don't want you to think that just because you get pastor in front of your name means that all your doubts disappear. No, it just means that I have my doubts and yours. That's what we get to do as shepherds. We get, to, we get to wrestle through our questions, and we get to help you wrestle through yours. And if I had not been through what I had been through, I couldn't say to you, I know exactly how you feel. And I can say, I, I know exactly how you feel. In so many ways. And so when you are struggling in that in-between space and you feel like some days you have plenty of hope and then some days your life is filled with doubt, you just remember that's where faith grows. Because while we are waiting, God is working. The Messiah is always working while we're waiting. That, that's the story of John. John is waiting on Jesus to reveal himself. John believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He literally, in John's gospel, said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He, he must increase, I must decrease. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie his shoelaces. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but because he was in a dark place, he had to hold on to hope that the promise was true. And do you know how he got the affirmation he needed? While he was waiting... He sent his friends to go to Jesus and say, hey, can, can, John's in prison and the gospel that you're preaching says that the prisoners will be set free. That's straight from Isaiah. John's in prison. He's a prisoner. You're preaching the gospel that says prisoners will be set free. Why isn't John being set free? That, that's the narrative that's underneath the surface. You know what Jesus did? He performed miracles in front of John's delegation, and then he sent them back. He said, now you go tell John what you've seen and heard. John is waiting in prison, but Jesus didn't stop working while John was waiting. I don't know what you're waiting on right now. I've waited on a lot of things in my life, still waiting on some things. To be human is to wait, but God is never taking a nap. I wrote this in my notes. God is not idle. God is not sleepy. God is not slacking off. As a matter of fact, God is superintending all the details of the great big universe, and he's superintending the small details of your situation so you can hang on to hope that a better future awaits you in Jesus even when you don't see it right now. 
Israel waited for 400 years. Not one word came from God or a prophet from the time Malachi closes the Old Testament until Matthew opens the New Testament. Israel had to wait. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had been waiting their entire adult life to have a child. They had prayed and prayed and prayed and all they got from God was radio silence. John had to wait. He had to wait in prison, a dark place, to hope that somehow Jesus really was the promised Messiah. If you've had to wait, congratulations. You are really a part of the kingdom of God. You are. You're in a, you're in a long line of men and women who have followed God and scratched their heads and shook their fists and said, God, what are you doing? But while we're waiting, God is putting together the pieces because in this cosmic thing we call life, we're not the star. We're the supporting cast. Jesus Christ is the star. We all have a role to play even though we may not know exactly what that might mean because it's not faith if we see everything God is doing. That's called proof. Faith is what pleases God. And when John asks the question, are you really the Messiah? He asks it from a place of faith. That's what I mean when I say doubt does not equal disbelief. You can bring your questions to God from a place of faith. Hey, if you're a parent... Do you remember how many questions your children used to ask when they were little? What is this? Why is this? Who is that? When can we? And then they get older and they ask more questions. Can I have some money? We're, by human nature, we're curious. No good loving father would rebuke their children for asking an honest question. Now, human mothers and fathers can get really frustrated and worn out when our kids keep asking the same questions over and over, and that's the difference between a perfect heavenly father and an imperfect earthly mother and father. We get frustrated with the questions your heavenly father never does. That's why Jesus didn't rebuke John for his question. He actually honored him. So let this sink in. John asked Jesus a question about his identity because he had doubts in the darkness and how did Jesus respond? By sending back word from eyewitnesses that he really was the Messiah. And then he honored John and called him the greatest man ever born of a woman. I'm just trying to liberate you and free you up to know that your God is big enough to handle the questions you have for him. No guarantee you'll get the answer you want right now. But you can bring your questions and your doubts to him. Just because God is silent, and maybe he's silent right now in your life, that does not mean he's absent. Just because you can't hear God speak doesn't mean that God isn't speaking. John had to live in some silence. Think about this. When John said, I am the one called to go before or prepare the way of the Messiah, do you realize that when John identified himself as the one that would prepare the way, he would prepare the way in several ways. First of all, he would proclaim that the Messiah was coming. Second of all, he would be locked in prison, just like Jesus was imprisoned on the night before his crucifixion. And third of all, John would lose his life for proclaiming the truth, just like his cousin and Savior Jesus would lose his life on the cross to take away our sins. You see, faith grows when we don't see what God is doing. And when God is not, is not speaking clearly, it causes us to lean in a little bit 
further. It breeds desperation. In my life, in the times when I have not heard God speak, it makes me desperate for his voice. In the times I can't feel his tangible presence, it makes me crave his love and his affection. I've just gone through it. I'm a living testimony, New Spring. Ten weeks ago tomorrow, I go to the doctor. My side was hurting. What's wrong with me? I actually went to the lab to get some blood work done, and the nurse at the lab said, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you right now, I had my appendix burst on me. You better get to the ER right now. And so I went to the emergency room, and because of COVID and because of the numbers of beds that were already filled, it took eight hours from the time I got to the hospital, to the ER, to get into surgery. And it was, the, it was terrible. It was an awful experience. I'm so thankful for our medical field and for the medical personnel that take care of us, I pray. They saved my life. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't ever want to go back to the hospital. I've quit drinking sweet tea, y'all. Literally, I'm not drinking soda. I had a biscuit this morning for the first time in 10 weeks. I don't want to go back there, but I'm so thankful for the people that were there to save my life. But when I got out of the hospital, actually when they went in to, to operate on me, and take out my, my appendix, which was diseased. The surgeon said, as soon as we touched your appendix, it exploded like wet tissue paper and filled your body cavity with septic material. And we had to irrigate you. And he said, you're going to be sore for months. We had to move everything around. And we had to suction all of that stuff out. Five days later, Shari had to take me back to the hospital because I turned septic. And they had to put four or five bags of, of IV antibiotics into my system and I was miserable. And I'm gonna tell you, it taught me some things. I learned that God was still there with me. I also learned that there are some things in life I can't muscle through. I've probably taken some sinful pride in being the tough old country boy that just knows how to make a way. I can hear my coach in, the, in 1990 back at Hillcrest saying, suck it up, put some duct tape on it and get back in the game. And eventually you get to a point in life where you just can't push through. And maybe that's God's grace to stop us and get us still enough, long enough, quiet enough to hear that still small voice say, I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm all you need because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. There was so much poison in my body. There was so much medicine they had given me. The worst night I think of my life was about three or four nights after surgery before I went back into the hospital. I would wake up in the morning, early in the morning, 2 a.m., and this particular night it was pouring down rain outside. I hadn't been sleeping well. I hadn't had a bite of food. I couldn't do anything. I'd move a few steps and feel like I was just going to pass out. And I, and I was having a dream, and I did not see the devil in my dream, but I heard his voice. And the devil was telling me, I'm going to kill you. And in my dream, there were evil spirits that had their hands around my throat. Some of this may have been a result of the lingering medicine or the lingering health issues or the poison that my body was trying to push out. But I woke up standing up in the middle of my bedroom, and it's dark, it's raining outside, I didn't know where I was. And I was wringing wet with sweat. My clothes were stuck to me. 
And I was in a complete panic. I'd never been afraid like that before. I told Shari the next morning, you're not going to believe what happened to me. And I wander around in a daze. I wander around the room literally trying to get the devil's hands off my throat. And I wound up in the bathroom. I turned on the light over by my vanity where I brushed my teeth. And I saw myself in the mirror and my skin was pale and pasty white. And I realized it was just a dream, but I could not pull out of it. And the only thing I could make myself say was the name of Jesus. I literally just said Jesus. And I just looked at myself in the mirror and I just kept saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it was amazing. Just saying the name of Jesus out loud sent all that darkness running. I didn't get healed automatically. I still had to go to the hospital. I still had to get four or five bags of, of antibiotics. I still had an eight-week recovery in front of me. But the name of Jesus, just saying the name, brought hope back into my dark situation. If you don't remember anything else from this message today, can you just remember this, please? Hope is the ability to keep hanging on. That's what hope is. It's the ability to hang on even when we don't see what God is up to. John still died. They cut his head off. And it was fully, listen, let's own this church. It was fully within Jesus' power to deliver John out of prison. But Jesus had a bigger and a better purpose for John's life. I know from the pastors and Christians I've met in the 50 countries I've traveled to that if it were not for John staying faithful till the death for Jesus Christ, there, were, there would be millions of Christians around the world that would not be able to take courage and hope from the testimony of John who was faithful till the death. And that's why I wanted to stand up here today and bear my soul and share my story at Christmas during Advent to tell you hope can come from a dark place. As a matter of fact, that's the best kind of hope because the darkness is where you need it the most. Church, there will come a day where that little baby that was born in a barn will come back. And when he comes back, he won't be beautiful little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus, all cute and cuddly. He won't be the Talladega Nights Jesus. When Jesus comes back, he will come back as the crucified, resurrected son of the living God. And when he comes back, he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords with no challenger and no rival. And I hope for that day. When that day comes, that hope will be fulfilled, and I'll have proof. But until then, I'm hanging on to hope, and you can too. So I want to end this message the way we try to end every message at New Spring. What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? What has God stirred in your heart during this message? What question do you need to bring before Jesus? What doubt do you need to talk it out with Jesus about? What is God saying to you? And what do you need to do about it? And in a moment after I pray, you're going to have a chance to respond. There's three ways you can respond at every campus. You can respond right there in your seat. You can pray right where you are. 
You can come forward at your campus to the front of the stage. This is an altar where we come and we bring our cares, our doubts, our worries to God. You can come and pray and talk to him right here. Or you can talk with one of our ministry team members. We've got people at your campus that would love to just be there. A helping hand, someone that you can share and pray with today. Those are the three ways that I want to invite you to respond. I want to stand everybody together right now at every campus. Go ahead and stand up on your feet. And you respond as you need to respond, whether right there where you are or coming to the altar to pray or coming and finding a ministry team member to pray with. Father, would you take this time right now and would you help us hang on to hope? Would you help us to do what you tell us to do today so that we can have the intimacy with you that you desire for us? And now, Lord, as we begin to move, I pray you'd move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.